So after the United States President Joe Biden announced the Western sanctions on Thursday, and after the European Union announced its sanctions against Russia, I realized that it will be a disaster for the Russian space industry, for the Russian space program. Because uh, I'm afraid that in, in the prospect of 10 years, Russia will not be able to create satellites. From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Welcome back, Downlink listeners. While events unfold on the ground in Ukraine, Russian President Vladimir Putin's decision to use his armed forces to invade Ukraine and attempt regime change in Kyiv kicked off a series of targeted financial and technological sanctions aimed at Russia's leadership, its banks, and more. Some of the most powerful impacts our actions will come over time as we squeeze Russia's access to finances and technology for strategic sectors of its economy and degrade its industrial capacity for years to come. Between our actions and those of our allies and partners, we estimate that we'll cut off more than half of Russia's high-tech imports. It will strike a blow to their ability to continue to modernize their military. It'll degrade their aerospace industry, including their space program. That was Thursday. Since then, the European Union and other nations also specifically banned certain technologies, even radiation-resistant solar energy cells, that could be used for Russia's space programs, both civil and military. Dmitry Rogozin responded with a fiery Twitter storm. He's the head of Russia's state-owned space corporation, Roscosmos. Rogozin seemed to imply that Russia's response would be to allow the International Space Station to fall out of orbit. Presently, Russian Soyuz boosters correct the space station's orbit as needed. Elon Musk, SpaceX's founder and CEO, responded directly by tweet to Rogozin with an image of his space launch company's logo. That was ostensibly to inform the head of Roscosmos that SpaceX stood ready to take over that responsibility if needed. Roscosmos also announced that it was pulling its 87 employees out of French Guiana, where it had a launch partnership with the European Union. Germany has switched off its radar telescope aboard the Russian satellite Spectre. To discuss these developments and their impact on Russia's space programs, we again have Pavel Luzin in Russia. But first, we'll hear from Malcolm Davis in Canberra, Australia. He's an expert with a keen eye on international security and space. Hi, Malcolm. Welcome back to the Downlink. It's great to be back, Laura. Uh, Fantastic to be here as always. What a week it's been, eh? But before we get to it, please introduce yourself to the audience. You know, where you are, what you do, and what you're working on. Okay, well, look, uh, I'm Dr. Malcolm Davis. I'm Senior Analyst in Defence Strategy and Capability at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute in Canberra, Australia. Uh, And I'm ASPE, ASPE's uh, leading space policy and space security thinker. So I focus a lot on that as well as other uh, issues in relation to military technology and future warfare. And obviously, right at the moment, uh, I'm kind of glued, uh, almost laser-like to focus on what's happening in Europe. But space is important. And so there's been some really interesting developments on space. 
While not specific to space, what has been Australia's reaction to the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Uh, we're pretty much in, in lockstep with our key allies and partners in NATO and the United States. So we're imposing uh, escalating waves of sanctions on Russia. We are obviously going to be uh, watching what other uh, allies do in terms of diplomatic and political measures, but we'll follow in suit with them. Uh, we're obviously not planning on military involvement at this point in time, uh, but we have indicated to the Ukrainians that we're prepared to assist them with cyber um, su support and maybe some intelligence support. So pretty much it's uh, the same as what the US and their NATO partners and EU partners are doing. Have you seen Dmitry Rogozin's, you know, the head of Russia's state-run space corporation? I mean, did you read his Twitter storm? I mean, what do you even make of it? Yeah, look, it's it's fairly alarming that someone like Rogozin uh, would say this sort of thing, and it tends to suggest that tensions within Moscow, in the leadership circle, uh, being driven by essentially a war situation are af uh, affecting everyone. And so everyone is getting much more nationalistic. They see this as a confrontation, not just about Ukraine, but a confrontation between Russia and the West, between Russia and NATO. And so Rogozin's rant, which is there's no better way to describe it, I think uh, really sort of undermines a lot of the uh, cooperative uh, progress that we've made with Russia over the years. Uh, to suggest, you know, essentially that uh, do you want the International Space Station raining down on the US or Europe, you know, when it deorbits? Do you want, you know, it, are there sanctions really about uh, Biden's you know, age, uh, to pull it delicately? You know, I think these were really unhelpful statements that he made. Now, whether he was pressured into making them uh, by others around Putin, I don't know. You know, that's a possibility. But if he made them himself out of his own conviction, then it doesn't bode well for space cooperation between Russia and the West. And frankly, uh, I'm not expecting that cooperation to return to normal after this, because I think this conflict fundamentally changes Europe's security uh, order for the worst for the long term. So it's going to be very difficult for the US and Russia to work together in space. Uh, everything from the International Space Station through to space debris mitigation to trying to provide norms of responsible behaviour in space, all of that is now uh, under threat because of what Russia has done. How significant was it for US President Joe Biden to specifically say that sanctions would hit Russia's space programs? He said Russia's ability to import high-tech products would actually be halved. Look, I, I think it's um, it was it was a, uh, an appropriate move by Biden to make it clear that the sanctions would be targeted, and you know I think it's important given the uh, long-term implications of this conflict uh, that we recognise that maybe we can't do business with Russia again uh, in the same way that we used to do it with them. You know, maybe we do need to treat them as a long-term adversary uh, in every sense, and that's uh, a real tragedy. But I think that's where we're at. And so, you know, we are, I think, on the precipice of, you know, what Churchill said back in, I think it was 1948, a new Iron Curtain uh, coming across Europe. It's the same thing that's happening now in 2022. And we need to adjust our policies accordingly. And I think space is going to be affected 
just as much as any other area. There have been reports that Taiwan, Singapore, and Japan are all going to cut Russia off from their products, from computer chips and processors and other manufactured high-quality parts necessary for precision electronics, you know, for missiles and spaceflight. Russia's space program is already limping from prior sanctions. What will be the effects, you think, for these new sanctions, this latest tranche? I think the effect will be it will push Russia into the arms of China, number one. So you will see a lot closer collaboration between Russia and China in space. So the international uh, space research uh, facility that they talked about on the moon, that's definitely going to go ahead. But it's also possible that uh, Russia's civil space program may, may now take a real backseat to the military space program. So this is, you know, this is going to be a fundamental game-changing event, not just for Ukraine or Europe, but for the globe, uh, for the world. And so it's going to have after effects and echoes right through the international system for the long term. And in terms of space, yes, of course, the Russians will now work more closely with the Chinese. But I think the, the focus is going to be military space. And that could you know, be pretty negative in terms of progress on norms of responsible behaviour in the UN, trying to prevent uh, the rapid weaponization of space. I think that's all going to fall apart and we're going to see that happen. So there's an awful lot to, to think about here and write about uh, in terms of the long-term implications of this, something that I've obviously got to get on with in the next week or so. Uh, but, um, you know, I think that we are still trying to work out what the hell is going on now in Europe and how do we, what are the long-term implications going forward uh, in terms of areas like space, like technology collaboration, you know, uh, impact on Russia's economy and so forth. The interesting thing is that if, if the, uh, I'm not saying we should lighten up on Russia by any means, but as their economy suffers in the long term because of sanctions, they might become more aggressive. Uh, they may become more desperate and start threatening us in other areas. So we need to be aware of that as well. Just to take you back to Rogozin's Twitter storm for a moment, you know, Rogozin may have a point about commercial launch. OneWeb, Astroscale, and others have used Soyuz rockets to launch their communication satellites and their payloads. You know, maybe I should put it more succinctly. As we know, private enterprise has used the Russian Soyuz to launch their payloads. You know, putting the need for radiation-hardened electronics aside for a moment, how can their commercial players, you know, even do business with Roscosmos if Russia is cut off from Western money markets and from the SWIFT system? Does that just make all of those deals sort of dead in the water now? Pretty much. As I said, I don't think we can go back to the status quo ante, not just about Ukraine, but globally. Uh, so this has had a fundamental transformation of the international system, what we're talking about here. So I do think from the commercial space sector, they need to recognize that they need to shift their reliance on space launch away from the Russians to the Americans with SpaceX. So I'm sure SpaceX is ready to leap into the void, shall we say, and say, we can provide your launch services for you. So I think that this is going to fundamentally change that aspect, that, that there'll be far less space cooperation, whether it's government to government or at the commercial level between Russia and the West going forward and much greater cooperation or collaboration between China and Russia going forward. Now that we've taken a look at the immediate effects of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the space domain, you know, at the start of the week, which was a short one for us here in the U.S. because of President's Day, there was a pretty big announcement 
I mean, the defense departments and ministries in the US, Australia, the UK, Canada, and New Zealand, the Five Eyes, and France and Germany, they all jointly released a memorandum of understanding. It's called the Combined Space Operations Vision 2031. And boy, what a time to actually release that. Could you explain what this MOU is all about? Yeah, that, that's the ceasefire agreement, which was originally um, you know, put together in 2014. Well, this is their future um, vision. And I think I've read through the document and the two key areas that I think uh, are most significant are the objectives and the lines of effort. Um, and essentially what CSPO is really about is sharing information on space activities, sharing intelligence on other states' space activities, uh, working together on space domain awareness and, and collaborating on issues such as space debris mitigation and so forth. But the interesting thing uh, that I'm reading in this document now is the greater focus within the document on space control and dealing with hostile threats in space. So there's a section here on defense and protection um, where it says, and I'll read it out to you, CSPO, participant, CSPO participants are committed to the defense protection of our national interests and the space domain. This may include collaboration across a range of measures, such as developing requirements for current and future systems to counter hostile space activities and to deter deny or defeat attacks or interference with the space enterprise, delivering the ability for combined agile and adaptive command and control through resilient, secure, interoperable and sustainable communications and sharing appropriate intelligence information and timely inclusive leadership of dialogues and decision-making. That's moving CSPO from collaborating purely on space domain awareness and sharing of intelligence to space control. And I think that's a big step forward. Uh, because I think it's it's been motivated by the Russian ASAT test in November of last year, uh, the Chinese developing a range of counter space capabilities or technologies that could be a, applied to a counter space role. They had uh, Xinjiang 21 in GEO uh, that grabbed a Chinese satellite and threw it out of GEO uh, and into a graveyard orbit. Well, that same technology could be used to grab a Western satellite and interfere with it. So I think that you are seeing a growing threat of counter space capabilities and CSPO, uh, the, the, the 2034 vision statement, takes that forward in terms of how do we respond to a more contested, dangerous and potentially uh, hostile space environment where Yes, it's an operational environment in peacetime, but that could quickly become a weapon, a war fighting environment in wartime. And I think that's really important in that regard. You know, it's interesting that you point that out because what really uh, caught my eye when I read the document was the multiple use of the word interoperability. And that would make me think that this could be a foundation for a multi-nation layered defense. Do you see it that way? Yeah, I tend to agree. And I think I caught that out too. I, I think that uh, there was greater uh, focus on collaboration across state boundaries. So in other words, you know, uh, you know within the five eyes, plus France and Germany, uh, you know, to work together on collaborating together to uh, integrate, but to a degree in terms of their effort. And I think you're right, it does lead to a, a multilateral framework for going forward that could be interesting in terms of a multinational approach to space security. So, you know, I think that um, I think that that's 
that's an important step as well. You know, that tighter collaboration, tighter cooperation, integration, call it what you will. Um, I think it's heading in one direction. So with this document and under the circumstances of this invasion this week, do you think that there will be actually more nations that will actually want to join this MOU? And if they do, why do they want to do it? Well, I would hope um, that Japan would seek to join the Five Eyes. Uh, I think that's an important next step. Um, you know, I think that uh, it makes a great deal of sense, for example, for Japan to join the Five Eyes to have a role in AUKUS so that we could have a JAUKUS type uh, arrangement. And so that would be certainly one party that, that I would be sort of pushing for a role in, in CISPO. Uh, second, of course, is India. Uh, and you can bring in a quad framework then, a quadrilateral security dialogue framework uh, that I think would strengthen the whole approach to CISPO and you know, alleviate concerns you know, that I think underpin groups like ANZUS, for example, you know, we're, we're a little bit uncertain about New Zealand's sort of intention. I mean, I've heard the five eyes described as four eyes and a wink. You know, uh, I think that uh, you know, the potential risk there that you know, if, if one of the members dropped off to the side, you have two very strong members come in uh, and take a more substantial role. So that would be certainly two states that I would hope that would seek to join CSPO, that would seek to join, certainly Japan join AUKUS. Uh, and have a greater role within the Quad for rebalancing that agreement to focus more on hard security issues, such as the things that uh, that CSPO are talking about. If there uh, is a priority in space that you think that should be addressed in the wake of this invasion, you know, what do you think is the number one space priority? Space resilience. Um, you know, we haven't seen so far any counter space <clears throat> operations against. <clears throat> excuse me, by the Russians. Uh, but that's really because Ukraine doesn't have a huge space capability of its own. But if this crisis were to escalate uh, so to a broader uh, conflict, then I would fully expect the Russians to be starting to threaten our space capabilities. So we need to urgently address space resilience. We need to have a greater means of surviving uh, potential threats posed by hostile powers against our space systems. Uh, and that means greater emphasis on augmentation of large satellites with small satellite constellations. Uh, it means greater disaggregation of space support across multiple satellites rather than concentrating all our eggs in a few baskets. And it means reconstitution, uh, an ability to rapidly deploy small satellites to, to fill gaps uh, following a counter space attack. And it's something that I think that really Australia could work with uh, its US partner and also the UK under AUKUS. Uh, AUKUS kind of ignored space, which I thought was odd, uh, given how important space is. So I think there needs to be an AUKUS space dimension, and that needs to be following in the lines of CSPO to focus on uh, resilience in space, in, in, in a more contested space domain. So that's what I would focus on. If I were making the decisions and I had control over the, the investment budgets, I would say, let's focus on resilience with all that goes with that. Malcolm, thank you so much for your time. Oh, it's look, it's my pleasure always, and I'm always happy to chat. Next, we're going to hear from Paul Voluzin. We're quite lucky to have him, as most reporting coming out of Russia is from state-owned media, and most of those organizations are barred from reporting on Russia's space programs outside of official press releases. Pavel is a Russia-U.S. relations, defense, and space expert. 
He spoke to me from St. Petersburg, Russia. Hello, Pavel. Thank you for making the time to come back on the downlink. Hello, Laura. Unfortunately, it's not a good day today, but nevertheless, we have to discuss something, I think, about space. Before we get there, could you take a quick moment and tell the audience where you are and what you work on? I'm Pavel Luzin. Uh, I'm an expert on Russian foreign policy and defense and space policy as well. And I'm basing uh, on, in Russia, in St. Petersburg. Let's talk about the latest raft of international sanctions, Russia's space programs and cooperation. You know, what do you make of them? What do you make of the latest? So after the United States President Joe Biden announced the Western sanctions on Thursday, and after the European Union announced its sanctions against Russia, I realized that it will be a disaster for the Russian space industry, for the Russian space program. Because uh, I'm afraid that in, in the prospect of 10 years, Russia will not be able to create a satellite. Maybe some of them Russia will be able to create still, but the, the most advanced sat satellites uh, and especially navigation sat satellites, communication satellites, Russia will not be able to, to produce. You know, I noticed two things in the EU sanctions issued Friday. First, that all solely commercial activity is banned, that there were not just talking about tooling machines and components, but insurance and investment. And second, that activities for intergovernmental coordination and academic work could receive waivers. What do you think that means? Firstly, I think that this exception is aimed only for the one project. This project is ExoMars. Uh, this uh, mission originally was planned to be launched uh, in 2020, but due to some technical issues and so on, this mission was postponed for the summer 2022, for the summer of this year. And I think uh, the European Space Agency is going to realize this mission. At least currently, as of today, the European Space Agency uh, is hoping that this mission will be possible this year, this summer. Uh, but towards the other parts of uh, space cooperation or scientific co cooperation, academic cooperation, I'm afraid it will become impossible even despite of uh, such exception in the European uh, Union decision. Because as I know, Germany and France they have cancelled already all the bilateral uh, scientific projects with the Russian technical universities, especially with uh, the technical universities engaged in the space program, like uh, uh, Bauman uh, University and so on and so on. Maybe this cancellation uh, will not be total, but I'm afraid uh, it will be total soon in coming days, in coming weeks. So despite the exceptions of, of the European Union, the only possible cooperational project remaining to be realized is ExoMars. And what about the International Space Station? I mean, we think here in the United States, at least NASA thinks that it's going to be going for you know roughly another decade, maybe a little bit less. That is a joint project with Roscosmos, you know, Russia's space corporation. How is that going to go forward, you think? 
Firstly, the Russian manned space program is completely dependent on the International Space Station project, is completely dependent on the partnership uh, with the United States and Europe and Canada and uh, Japan. Even before the International Space Station appeared, there was a Russian Soviet and then Russian uh, orbital space station Mir. Even that space station Mir was completed with the American financial assistance. The last two models of, of the Mir station was orbited because American taxpayers paid for this. And uh, that means that post-Soviet Russia is completely incapable to realize the managed space program by itself without any foreign assistance, without the cooperation with, uh, with the United States. And that's why uh, the reaction of Mr. Rogozin, uh, who is the head of Roscosmos, the reaction on uh, the last sanctions against Russia, against Russian space industry, the reactions was a kind of hysterical. It, it, it was a kind of hysteria in his Twitter because uh, he realizes very well what does it mean. And that's why uh, he's written uh, the United States and other partners that without Russia, the International Space Station uh, will die soon. Uh, without Russian spacecraft uh, progress, uh, the correction of ISS orbit will be impossible. So guys, think twice before the decision. But I'm afraid that the divorce that the space divorce in the International Space Station is technically possible. I, uh, I think it is possible. Maybe I'm wrong, but the United States have uh, Cygnus spacecraft made by Northrop Grumman currently, uh, SpaceX, of course, Dragon, Crew Dragon, and uh, nevertheless, uh, hopefully soon, we will see a Starliner spacecraft. And uh, the correction of ISS orbit uh, will, be uh, will become possible without any Russian spacecraft. And the International Space Station will be operational even without the Russian models. We shouldn't overestimate the technical necessity of the Russian, of the Russian segment of the International Space Station. So I'm afraid we are witnesses uh, of the collapse of the Russian space program. Uh, this collapse will, will, will not uh, finish in three days or five days or five weeks, but uh, this collapse may continue in seven to ten years. But if Russia will not change its behavior currently as soon as possible in, 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 coming, hour, in coming hours, in coming days, I'm afraid uh, Russia will lose its space industry, its space program completely. You know, how much does Russia's space programs receive in terms of revenues from all the commercial activity? I mean, that was a revenue stream for Roscosmos, wasn't it? The golden era of the revenues um, was in 2000, 2010s, so last decade and at the beginning of 21st century, when Russia got revenues from the contract with the United Launch Alliance, the contract on RD-180 rocket engine. Uh, after that, uh, Russia got a contract for RD-191 uh, rocket engine for Antares uh, launch vehicle. Every engine costed in 2018 up to $15 million. It, it, it's my personal estimation because uh, the condition of, of the contract was secret, but I counted this as a $15 million per one single rocket engine. And Russia supplied 
126 RD180 rocket engine. So you may calculate by yourself, I think. Also, Russia got revenues from, uh, from the American and the European astronauts when the space shuttles retired. And uh, every seat costed in 2019 $87 million. $87 million uh, is the price that covered the cost of launch vehicle and the cost of spacecraft, because totally they costed at the time $70 million of dollars. Uh, Soyuz rocket and Soyuz spacecraft. And the United States paid for American astronauts, for European astronauts, and paid uh, totally about $4 billion. $4 billion. Uh, you, you may compare this with numbers of last year. In 2021, the Russian spendings uh, on uh, the civil space program were about $1 billion. It's annually. So when Americans paid $4 billion since 2006 or 2007 till 2020, so you can imagine that Americans paid at least three years of uh, Russian civil space programs, three additional years. And we also, also have the, the launches from OneWeb yes. or Astroscale. I mean, we have a lot of commercial players that have come to Roscosmos for launch services. From what I'm reading in the sanctions, they can't go there anymore. Yes, uh, currently it's impossible. Today, we may say that Russia kicked off from the global commercial space market. It's done, unfortunately. Where do you see the US-EU-Russia relationship in space going from here? You know, many people in the West simply think Russia is going to work in space with China instead. You know, uh, I think the Chinese-Russian partnership in outer space shouldn't be overestimated. To be honest, I think uh, only some minor uh, cooperational projects are possible. Because uh, at the end of 20th century and at the beginning of 21st century, Russia was a donor, a technology donor for China, for, for, for Chinese space program. Russia supplied uh, technologies of rocket engines. Russia supplied technologies of manned space flights, and so on and so on. But currently, China can do all this independently. And Russia can do independently not so many things, to be honest. Because even the Russian defense electronics that, that is used in military satellites, uh, this electronics, some uh, the most crucial parts of this electronics, uh, were produced in Taiwan. Since Thursday, Taiwan stopped the relations with Russia. Russia cannot produce even uh, processors. And Russia completely cut off from the advanced uh, space electronics. And China does not supply the advanced space electronics to Russia. I, I remember the official report of the Reshetnyov company. It's the main manufacturer of, of the Russian satellites and one of the managers of this uh, company told to corporate newspaper and 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 he told that uh, you know we tried to cooperate with china but we completely not satisfied with the quality of electronics that china is ready to supply to russia uh, russia doesn't have new generation of spacecraft uh, 
Russia doesn't have new generation of orbital models. Russia doesn't have a launch vehicle for the new generation of spacecraft. And uh, how to cooperate with China? China has its own space station. Chinese International Space Station, not Chinese-Russian or something like that. And China is planning to go to the moon, but how Russia can contribute to this, uh, to this program? With, with what? With what technologies? With what, uh, with what brains, human capital? Yeah? Uh, even how, how to conduct uh, financial transactions be- between Russia and China, in rubles maybe? I'm not sure it's possible. And lastly, what is the mood in Russia? How are you reacting to this unfolding new era? Uh, You know, as a Russian citizen and uh, as a person who believes in idea of republic, I feel my responsibility for all these awful and disastrous uh, things that we are seeing these days. I feel I, I feel very bad, and uh, yes, it's pity, but it's 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 our responsibility. And to to be honest, we we must to pay this cost. And uh, it it was a decision of our government to destroy the space industry, to destroy to destroy space cooperation, space exploration, to destroy to destroy the century of of the Russian bloody modernization. Because, you know, the Russian space program derives from the Soviet space program. And the Soviet space program derives uh, from Gulag, from Germany, and from the United States during the era of Soviet industrialization, during the era of land lease. The United States supplied a lot of industrial equipment to Russia. And even after the Second World War, the Soviet Union legally and illegally got a lot of technologies from the United States. And currently, Russia decided not to care about this, about this heritage, and decided to restore, uh, I don't know, Slavic Empire. So we we must to pay, and I'm afraid the cost uh, and the price will be growing and growing and growing, and we will pay. So, but it's decision of our government and uh, and our responsibility. I'm sorry for that. And if if uh, someone who from uh, Ukraine uh, Ukraine will listen to your podcast, sorry for for my country. I want to express my gratitude to you, Pavel, for speaking with me at such a difficult time. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Be sure to listen next week. Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the dawning of what's likely a new security order, and the effects on space, business, and defense are a developing story. Until then, I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.